0: Who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair and his ice-cold demeanor and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you.
1: (laughs) The guilty will be punished. My name is Sergeant...
0: Andrew Scott. Come on, guys, don't do this. If I don't get breakfast, I get real grumpy. I don't think you yeah. like me grumpy.
1: And you go in pieces, asshole.
0: Let's kick some ass. Hello, and welcome back to I Must Break, this podcast. The fan podcast looking at the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Today, we're going back four years and looking at the 2018 action thriller Blackwater. In this one, Dolph reteams with fellow action star Jean Claude Van Damme, only this time, instead of being adversaries, they're now actually on the same side. Jean Claude Van Damme stars as Scott Wheeler, a deep cover CIA operative who finds himself locked aboard. A CIA black site submarine. Dolph stars as Marco, a fellow operative also imprisoned, who helps Wheeler escape their underwater prison. You know how this works, so I'll keep it simple.
1: You're an enemy combatant and will not be granted any rights. This won't go anywhere. Welcome to hell.
0: Lock down this boat right away. The man's a highly decorated officer and a trained killer. He's been taught to adapt, improvise. Just find him.
1: I need you to tell me what is going on right now. Someone is setting me up. It's time to level the plans yo. I believe we should get you one of these. I knew I liked you. Do this. In the old days, it was just red wire, blue wire.
0: I'm your host Sean, and returning to the show to help me chat this one, it's been a while, uh, is David Ullman, host of the podcast Long Walk for a Short Drink david thank you so much for coming back on man thanks for having me hey sean so i mean it's been shoot has it been what two years since the last time we chatted i want to say or it's it's just shy of that right
2: yeah i was trying to i was thinking about it myself and i'm not super sure but it does it both feels like forever ago and yesterday one of those things yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and we should probably let the listeners know, um, the last time I had you
0: on was uh, for the last uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph pairing, which was Universal Soldier Regeneration. Um, I, I, I extended the invite for this one for you because I know that, I mean, look, I'm I'm a huge fan of both these guys, but I know that you adore Mr. JCVD. And so I kind of had it in my mind. I was like, look, I really want David back. I think this would be the perfect pairing for uh, for us to come on. I I feel kind of bad though. Um, I I feel like we missed out on an opportunity. What we really should have done is you should have found some kind of drink that was Belgian. I should have found a drink that was Swedish to really, really align and make this a, uh, a, a real Clash of the Titans, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll have to pretend.
0: So, well, again, thank you very, very much for coming back. Um, I, I guess before we di- dip into this film, I'm just curious, what's uh, what's new with you? I know um, we mentioned, we talked about it on the last podcast, but uh, on the last episode, um, but uh, Long Walk for a Short Drink,
2: that particular uh, series is still running, right? We we actually s- stopped doing it at the end of last year uh, at our episode 100. We just decided that uh, we were gonna, I don't know, pause it indefinitely, and uh, and so my friend Palmer, with whom I co- co-hosted that show, and and some of the guys that would come on regularly, we still uh we still gather on a video call just in the same way. We just don't record it, and it's not quite as uh organized, but. Uh, yeah, so the the podcast is happening offline, I
0: suppose. <laughs> okay, okay. Have you considered starting anything new? I mean, I mean, look, I'll just throw it out there. I think uh, I think a Jean Claude Van Damme retrospective filmography analysis would be right up your alley. Have you considered going that route? <laughs> um,
2: I might, except for there, there were two um, similar type shows. Both had Pod worked into the his name <laughs> the the but the Jean <laughs> Jean Pod Van Dam cast uh, that was uh, on the Podbros network for for quite a few years. I have been a guest on that show from time to time, and now they're at a place where I help them archive their their run on YouTube, so folks can listen to the to that run of that goes through his films chronologically and uh, on the Podbros Uh, youtube channel and then each time he's on in a new movie which has only happened twice in the last uh, couple years since they had finished their run the the uh, john and jeff invite me on and and we kind of keep that going right on right on well that's an excellent segue there because again and i don't
0: i don't want to sleep on this um but i know that uh yeah you were a huge fan of uh mr van Dam growing up as were so many i mean as was i i mean I In fact, I distinctly remember seeing films like Street Fighter and uh, uh The Quest, you know, in theaters, you know, their opening weekend. So, I mean, I'm right there with you. But I wanted to get your take real quick. Before we dive into this film, I wanted to get your take on the current state of where Mr. JCVD is at career-wise. I have a few theories myself, but I, of course, I wanted to get your opinion and your take. But um his career is uh pretty much... I don't know how you want to refer to it. I, I I think it's he's kind of stepped into a bit of a semi-retirement. I guess we could say he's uh, he seems to have kind of put a lot of things on pause. And and like I said, I have some theories about this on on why this could be happening. But I wanted to get your take on what has been going on with uh, Mr. JCVD, and I think that could kind of help explain um, his placement in this film as well.
2: Yeah, I well, um, I haven't. Followed his career as closely the last so many years as I used to. I mean, um, I have a, a a two and a half inch three ring binder with like you know uh, plastic sleeves that I that I kept as a as a kid in the uh, late eighties early nineties where I put all his like inside karate clippings and stuff, and uh, that was the heyday of my fandom. And I, I kept up throughout you know the the following decades and stuff, but. Less closely to the point where there's a few I haven't seen in the like m- mid 2000s or so, but it's funny because where the this year 2018 that Blackwater came out, um, which incidentally I didn't I missed until until watching it for the the podcast here. But uh, JC, as I call him, <laughs> that's right, that's him. right. So, yeah, well, the friend with the binder. I think I think you're more <laughs> yeah. than uh,
0: allowed to give him a nickname considering you have a binder
2: that's right i'm not allowed to come with it so many feet though so th- there's that yeah but um so but in 2018 he within a 14 month period he had four films come out and uh this being the 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 first of them so and, and most of them were like more prominent starring roles than had started to be the case and so um, well, I think I, I I sense or I agree a little bit with uh, what you were saying about a kind of semi-retirement because he'll show up in movies and it's not for very long or he'll do these like
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know voice cameos and he's made really good use I think of like kind of poking fun at himself uh, really you know brilliantly in the JCVD movie that came out in two thousand eight but then again with Zhang. Claude Van Johnson that was the series on Amazon in I think 2017. And actually just recently, I think it was last year, the last mercenary on Netflix was a really fun kind of uh like it was literally almost like a French farce. <laughs> I actually literally almost it was a French farce of sorts, but Van Damme played, I think he played this like CIA type agent, and he was always in disguise, but it was very often played for comedy and it had a lot of fun about it and i think if i had one critique of his later career is that it was all all very dour and he's his lids are like half closed half the time and he's just kind of laconic and i don't know it didn't have the energy and charm that he did when he was younger and i'm really happy to see that there is a little bit of that at least here in blackwater but yeah that's kind of what i've observed the last few years
0: yeah well and you know point of contrition here i'll just admit it right now um i actually didn't finish the last mercenary i i started it and i wanted to finish it i wanted to like it but i for the life of me i just could not i couldn't do it and i, I think oh, a lot of it is beca- is be- I, I i know and i'm sorry i'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it i just did not find and i think what a lot of it is to be perfectly honest i'll i'll just admit it i think what a lot of it is is the fact that um this was a french film that you know was <laughs> was made for french audiences and i think french humor does not translate um always 100% well with uh with american audiences so i think maybe that was part of the reason I, it's one that I, I realize I need to go back and I need to check out because like you said, if you look at his career and the films that he had done, I mean, yeah, he was, I, I, I mean, I, I've been saying this for the past couple years. I think that uh, Jean-Claude is essentially kind of in a, a semi retirement. You know what I mean? He's just, I don't think his, uh, his drive is there as much as it used to be. And like I said, I have a few theories for this. And so, yeah, around 20 from about, 2014 to 2018 or so yeah like you said he was taking on small bit roles that were essentially really just playing off his image i guess we can Mm say but with the last mercenary yeah he seemed a little bit more alive once again but there were still so many scenes where it was like that's not sean claude like i can tell that's a stunt double there you know what i mean
2: Oh yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. That one (laughs) is a, I mean, it is a very particular tone. I I will totally concede that point. And I just, if you couldn't get into it, I don't know that you need to force yourself back in (laughs) to finish it.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, and I have kind of said this on, on previous episodes, but I just want to re reiterate it or echo it again. I think one of the big reasons for Mr. Jean-Claude's retirement is the, the market. And the 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 shift, I guess we can say that the the action market has been going into okay. When when Jean Claude first started doing direct to video movies, okay, the DVD market was was still pretty big, and was still pretty booming with the DVD market shrinking and largely kind of disappearing and everything going to streaming, suddenly the budgets for these films are shrinking way, way, way down. And so I think for a guy like Jean-Claude who went from at one time starring in films that were being made for between 30 to you know 50 million, suddenly starring in a film that is being made for barely 2 million, if that even, of course he's not going to be on set for more than a few days. And of course when he's there like you said, I love what you said as you said it on the last episode, his, his lids barely look half open and yeah, he's playing, uh, he's playing tired in a lot of these films. He's playing very, very dour. And it's, it seems like he's almost kind of sleepwalking in a lot of these roles. And I think a lot of that is because, I mean, when he did the film in hell, that was him playing dour. And we had never seen that really before from him. So there was at that time, it was a bit of a revelation, but, who would have thought that 10, 15 years later he would still be playing these just quiet, stone faced badasses who barely even blink? And if you look at Jean-Claude from like the double impact era where he's just so goofy and charismatic and smiling to what we have, you know, within the past 10 years, it's like, man, that's that's a bit of a shift there.
2: Yeah. I I think from what I could tell. It seems like he tries to step out of that. Like even in 2013, I think it was that year, he did a movie called Welcome to the Jungle, where he's like mm-hmm. front and center on the poster, and he he plays a comedic character. And I, th- I think a lot of the stuff he he's come to do with it making fun of his own image is is attempts to try new things. But I think ultimately, it's like. I, oh, I did hear him talk about this somewhere where he's like, he's like, there's so many pictures of me with the same, he didn't say stupid face, but he said something like that. Same like blank expression on a poster. And I think he said something to the effect of just like, that's all that that's what would get movies made. So it wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. like what he wanted to do, but it was all people would kind of let him do. And I think even this movie is, uh, I, I was surprised to see because without getting into it too much, I, I liked it more than I thought I would. And I really feared that it would be something along the lines of his, like uh, what's this 2001 or two movie derailed where it was on like a train. And I think some folks dislike that movie even more than I I do. I I just saw it the once. I mean, I, of course I own it, but (laughs) I don't think I pulled it out again, but I, I, I I worried it was going to be this kind of like ultra low budget. And hands off i thought he would just be in it i kind of thought he would be in it about as much as dolph turned out to be so i was pleased to see him engage that much but it was his company rodan entertainment that like dev- is one of the producers and developed it so he seemed to have some investment in at least bringing this to the screen though i did hear your interviews with both patrick patrick kilpatrick and uh chad law the 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 villain and um, writer respectively of this film. And so I have those stories kind of in the back of my head as well for what, whatever happened once, once cameras started to roll. <laughs> so I don't know. Well,
0: well, thank, first of all, thank you so much for listening to those. And yeah, Patrick Kilpatrick, man, that dude, Um, I, I was a little scared and a little intimidated talking oh, to him. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, oh, I was know, scared for you. But um, boy, that guy, he does not mince words one bit. He, he says what's on his mind and uh, yeah, he's, he's gone into in later interviews where he speaks about working with Jean Claude, where he kind of alludes to there being some brain damage or whatever. And I of course don't want to, I don't want to speak on that. I don't want to speculate on that or anything because that's not my place. But yeah, he's he's kind of alluded to that that might be kind of what's going on with Mister uh, with with Mister Jean Claude. And I remember he he said something else in the interview that was interesting. Is that um sorry about my dog upstairs. Uh, no, but he, uh, he 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 made two comments.
2: of
0: them here. There you go. He, but he made comments where he basically said that uh, Jean Claude had trouble remembering his lines. And it was difficult for him to even get out of his trailer, and so as a result, they're they're shooting his scenes separately. And so Patrick Kilpatrick is essentially having to talk to like a uh, a tennis ball on a stick, you know what I mean? Yes. And and, and yeah. so you hear that, and it's kind of like I don't know, it's it's a bit of a uh,
2: it's a bit of a gut punch, you know what I mean, into your heart, I guess yeah and i the uh, the thing that stuck out to me that he said um that patrick Kilpatrick said on on the podcast was when he he said he saw jean claude as a tragic figure ravaged by his excesses that wording like really like stuck out at me and uh i that bummed me out because i sort of as someone who's followed his career like i remember you know as a kid um You know, reading his interviews and stuff, it was all about, you know, health and exercise and all this. So as he rose to the top of sort of the Hollywood, well, not quite to the top, but, you know, upper echelons of the Hollywood um, food chain, he got rather wrapped up in a lot of the trappings of that lifestyle. And as that would come out in, like, the, the press, it was a little... um. I don't know. A little disillusioning, I guess, for you know to be his fan. But then it seemed like he would he would kind of come out of it and like be, you know, back to his old self again. And it, I think he's probably ridden that roller coaster f- ever since. Yeah. Is this the sense I I get? And the other thing that I I. Obviously, I am not a doctor, and I don't know him personally. I'm not allowed to come within so many feet of him, but <laughs> I do know he's got he suffers from bipolar depression that was, I think, undiagnosed for a long time. And so, so, part of me wonders, you know, that I don't know what the medications are like for that exactly, but I I have to imagine that it it levels the or balances things out so the highs aren't so high and the lows maybe aren't so low. And so, I don't know if you know like does he then go off those meds when he's trying to act uh and if so is that the kind of thing that's keeping him in his trailer and forcing you know the sandman to act act against a c-stand with a tennis ball on it i mm-hmm. i don't know it's just a lot of conjecture and i guess i just was disappointed because from the outer sort of projection of what he's done through social media that his mom runs his social media <laughs> uh perhaps that has something to do with the uh the clean image, but it seemed like he had his act together a bit better in recent years. But then like, I'd hear little things that would make me wonder otherwise. And of course the, I I think Patrick Kilpatrick was doing his best to be diplomatic and, and and generous and kind, but he was also trying not to, (laughs) because I did notice in the scene that they shared in that room, the interrogation room, the only time that when there was a third actor present, there was a couple wide shots but otherwise i i noticed that they were never in the same like profile or master shot together there was like one reflection shot where they were both in it but you can kind of fake that and so ugh, it's uh, the whole tragic figure ravaged by his excesses is uh really just kind of caught in my craw. <laughs> well and
0: yeah i mean and what's interesting i don't know if you picked up on this this is going to be one of my uh, one of my points in my notes but yeah um it's really interesting how if you notice, especially in the films of the past ten years, Jean-Claude's son, Christopher Van is is it Van yeah. v, has he taken on the name Van Dam or is he still Van Varenberg? I can't oh, remember. That's a good question. I, is,
2: maybe both at times. I don't yeah. know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but what's interesting is his son always pops up in yes. in yeah. bit roles. Usually so, a lot of times as a bad guy or as a henchman that Van Damme has to fight. And so you know, on one hand, it's, it's great. It's like, Hey, he's, he's getting a role for a son. All right. That's cool. But then on the other hand, you almost kind of wonder. And again, I'm purely speculating. I don't know, but I almost kind of wonder if maybe that's written into Jean Claude's contract and that if you hire Jean Claude, you're going to find a role for his son. And I wonder if, I mean, just go with me on this one, but I wonder if his son is there to kind of help, to kind of work as a, uh, uh, as a buffer if you will or a middleman if you will between
2: jean claude and the production crew you know what i mean yeah, i don't yeah. know I mean, it makes a little sense i mean i hate to to yeah. keep um to, you know talking about him <laughs> in this way of conjecture but i don't get the chance to very often it's unfortunate that this will be heard publicly so i'll try to temper it <laughs> separate <laughs> but I. I, I love like special edition Blu-rays, all the kind of like, first-hand behind-the-scenes information about movies I can get, I'm all excited about. And so a couple years ago, there was a Double Impact deluxe Blu-ray uh, edition that came out with a bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff. And um, uh, Sheldon Lettich, the director of that movie and the writer of Bloodsport and someone who worked with Jean-Claude a lot at uh, in the early part of his career... He didn't use the word bipolar, but he talked about Jean Claude as being this guy who you didn't know who you were going to get, like which Van Damme you were going to get day to day, and that that's where that two characters of Alex and um, Chad came from, you know, as they were developing that story, and i I think, I think that's kind of interesting and. And yeah, there's a lot of people in his early movies that show up, uh, you know, that seem to be kind of family friends, like the Michel Kesey the play Tom Poe and his brother. And uh, I think, yeah, I think he's a loyal guy, but your your theory about the, uh, the son kind of offering some... I don't know, maybe support to his dad. I know he travels with his little dog as well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. But I was happy to see Chris in this. Um, It looks like he is going by Van Damme uh, in the credits of this one. And I thought he looked badass with that beard and and bald head.
0: Oh, he has, he's taken after his dad in terms of uh, martial arts prowess and abilities. I mean, he, when he, when he throws down in those scenes, I don't know if you saw kill them all or not. Um, That was another small little film. That's, yeah, Which so the one um,
2: that that you you talked about really liking is it Six Bullets? I think that's from maybe from the same writer. Is it something like that? It was another I'd missed. Um,
0: yeah, Six Bullets actually, and that one's actually streaming on Netflix now, FYI. Um
1: uh,
0: But yeah, um, he they, they they pair the two together. end. only in Six Bullets was interesting. Is Chris is not um he's not an adversary or a henchman. He's uh. Uh, he's Jean Claude. Actually, in that one, now that I think about it, he plays Jean Claude's son, actually, who partners with him on various missions. But, um, awesome. but yeah, you, you know, what, what, I mean, you already said it, so I just want to echo it again. What, what I will say about this film that was was kind of nice to see is, considering the yeah, Jean Claude had been taking nothing but uh, these bits, supporting roles in various films. It was really, really cool in 2018. To see JC, as you call him. Um, you can call him that, too. <laughs> okay, thanks, man. Um, <laughs> him him taking on a lead role again. You know what I mean? Him taking yeah. on a lead role where he is front and center. And the other thing that I will say, and this, this is, I mean, c- kind of, this is the fanboy in me, I guess we can say. But the idea of reteaming Jean-Claude with Dolph Lundgren, this is an idea that I think fans of the genre have been wanting ever since they first squared off together in uh, 1992 in universal soldier. Okay. And I remember it's funny, but I remember around 99, 2000 or so it was around that time when Jean-Claude was starting to kind of hit the direct to video market. I remember at the time thinking, you know, now is the time that would be wonderful for the two of them to do another movie together, but yeah, where they're not, adversaries but where they're um joining forces working on the same side i thought that was really intriguing and at the time i always kind of liked the idea of them teaming up in like a buddy cop type movie you know what I oh, mean? Oh like yeah a like
2: type movie yeah like showdown a little tokyo but with them. Mm-hmm.
0: i always thought that would have been really kind of cool um what's i guess kind of unfortunate about this one is there were there were a few red flags about this one right out of the gate that i will just say but when i heard that uh they were going to be teaming up once again for a project i was like yes that sounds like a great idea i'm looking forward to it maybe perhaps it's a little late in their careers but um that's fine i will take it the problem with me was that um it it, it's set on a submarine and at Mm -hmm. the time i remember thinking like Okay, in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, when the direct-to-video market was, was or excuse me, the, the DVD market was really, really big. I mean, shoot, we saw tons of these low-budget movies set on submarines. And so for them to be relying on that again in 2018, for me, that did not do much for my excitement at all. And sadly, I think a lot of those fears kind of um came to fruition uh, when when I watched
2: the film. Yeah, yeah yeah I was a little worried too. I think that idea of it just being you know underwater in this contained thing that and I guess the little press type pictures I'd seen did have me fearing that it was going to be this kind of really just dark and depressing and it's a little long for this kind of movie, at least like on paper and it does boy, so. This should be so you're right.
0: This it should be a 90 exactly minute movie. That. Yeah, this yeah, should be a 90-minute movie. And it it goes on at least 15
2: more minutes than it really needs to. And it would have been nice to get him and Dolph working together sooner. Because that was a real... Like, when that happened, I was like, oh. Because I actually... I, wa- I, I watched up until a certain point, maybe like 45 minutes or close to an hour in. And then I was getting really tired and then I tried to go to bed. But then some people in my neighborhood were i don't know what was going on they were having the largest party of the year and so i literally couldn't sleep so i was like all right i'll come out and get this going again and then it like i'll finish this damn movie for sean's podcast yeah well but then i got but then it got like kind of more interesting and i was he was like winking at Dolph. i was like okay i'm on board for this like put this like earlier and cut off 15 minutes of I don't know what, but it, it was uh, it was weird. It wasn't like two different movies exactly, but it didn't all quite congeal, you know, as tightly as I think would have been nice. But um, yeah, I, do you want to kind of go through the the plot or, or t- just talk about it in general? Well, I, I, yeah, actually, and before we uh, before we uh, go
0: down either of those avenues, the one thing that I want to say about this real quick, I don't know if you picked up on this or not either, um, but did you see Escape Plan from 2013 with uh, Schwarzenegger and Stallone? No, I, I'm not even sure. I've heard of that, but I I'm suddenly interested. Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right. So what's interesting is, okay, in 2013, a film came out called Escape Plan. Which put Sylvester Stallone and uh, and Arnold Schwarzenegger together in a film, and so I'm I'm surprised you haven't heard of it. I think it's worth checking out. It's uh, it it has a few problems with it, but um, I think Schwarzenegger is a lot of fun in it. Stallone is really cool. I mean, and there's just a certain kind of novelty that uh, you know in seeing Stallone and Schwarzenegger occupying the same space on screen that is just wonderful to see. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, so I would recommend uh, you check that out. But here's what's interesting about it, okay? This film parallels Escape Plan almost identically to the T, okay? Oh. Only what's what's interesting is, and my buddy Chris kind of coined this term, so I don't want to uh, take credit for it, but um, this film is pretty much the, the Junior Varsity version of Escape Plan, okay? So if you watch Escape Plan, I mean, the parallels between the two are so identical, you almost kind of wonder if if Chad Law saw Escape Plan and you know was just kind of I don't know. But um, Stallone's character in Escape Plan is put into a black site high tech prison where he teams <laughs> up with a fellow prisoner who's already there, who is Arnold Schwarzenegger, and the two of them team up and hatch a plan to get out of uh, to get out of this high tech prison advanced prison ever built. Its location is top secret. And
1: when they erase your identity, you cease to exist. Who were you before you came in here? I break out of prisons for living. The people who paid for you to be here want to hear you here forever. The only way to stay alive is to break out. I'm going to burn this place to the ground. Let's do it. Plan.
0: Which just by me telling you that premise, that is the exact same thing we have going on here in this one. Only Stallone is the Jean-Claude character. Dolph Lundgren is the Arnold Schwarzenegger character. Both uh, both these stories obviously take place on these black site prison, uh, prisons that are kind of under the radar. You have Schwarzenegger in Escape Plan. You have Schwarzenegger. He's the resident prisoner showing Sly around who's new to the prison. This film is basically following those exact beats. But you know what? Here's the problem with here's the big problem in my opinion with both of these stories is that they came way too late. Okay. I mean, I think if you're going to put, you know, these two icons together in a film, pull a universal soldier and do it when the, when the, the two guys are in their prime, you know what I mean? Yeah.
2: yeah and it reminds me, I, cause I was when uh, what did I listen to? Oh, your expendables two episode was so much fun okay. for me because I was not expecting the, you and your guest to be so pro Van Dam in that movie I don't know, I thought it'd just be a bit oh, more he's a wonderful letter. Your, yeah. your excitement, your respective excitement, with, you both kind of come off the bat of like, I just gotta say like, he was great at this, and so I was just so delighted by that, and then I think you guys talked some about Universal Soldier being this sort of first team up, uh, you know at least an early one of these kind of action stars that would grow into this sort of free-for-all that, that Stallone cultivated with the the Expendables films but yeah I, I it would have been nice to see more of that I I uh, I like the podcast um How Did This Get Made and there's a lot of Van Damme and Stallone movies <laughs> that are featured on that and a lot of good-natured ribbing and sometimes then some backstory and I learned from that podcast that Demolition Man that ultimately was uh Stallone and Wesley Snipes was developed for Van Damme and Seagal And somehow or other, that didn't quite happen. And so it's like, it's so, man, these things that. So I wonder how much, like, you know, people try to get going and then just doesn't pan out for one reason or other. And so much changes. And it was very interesting hearing Chad Law talk about, you know, this movie and even how he got into writing to begin with. But if I'm, I'm remembering correctly, didn't he sort of, wasn't he given, like, the assignment to write a movie that took place on a submarine? something like Exactly. That. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's an
0: awesome segue there, um because yeah, I suspect I have a sneaking suspicion about this, but I suspect that this was a script that Jean Claude and Dolph were more or less pigeonholed into, mm-hmm. because I, I I I mean, you would think, okay, if you're getting if you're putting together a film where you're putting these two, I'm going to use a term that you said when we discussed uh, regeneration, but rarefied beings. Okay, <laughs> I remember you said that, but yeah, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna take a uh, 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 an idea, put together a movie with these two rarefied beings together, then I would think put something together that is tailor-made and is written for each of these actors strengths. I will say though, and this is just my opinion. I don't know if you felt this or not, but I feel like because the location is so confined, I mean, it takes place on a submarine. You know what I mean? There's not much you can really do with a submarine. I think that uh, Jean-Claude and Dolph are merely just kind of going through the motions and if this was written at the uh, at the forefront, and this is no discredit to Mr. Chad Law by any means, but I think if I, I would like to think that if he had known from the uh, from the offset of, hey, we have Dolph for, you know, seven days, we have Jean Claude for fifteen days, I would like to think that he would have said, Well, you know what, I'm gonna create I'm gonna create characters that's gonna play to their strengths. But unfortunately, I mean we don't see enough of Dolph, and what we do see of Van Dam, he doesn't really get to do a whole lot of kicking. You know, what I mean? yeah, that <laughs> so, was bumming
2: me out until it finally kicked in. Pun always intended late in the game, but even that, it was not quite the. You know, there's not much spin and kicks. I don't know. I know he's got to try to keep it more grounded these days. Sometimes literally on the ground, but ah, come on, give give me a little jean Claude, give me a little backspin kick, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean if we if we just go through the uh the plot real quick, I mean there there's not to be honest with this one, David, there's really not much um that that we can say or that we can add. I mean, Jean-Claude plays Scott Wheeler, who's this uh he's this deep cover operative, a very rote and uh basic role. It almost feels like something that Stephen Seagal would play you know just he's a CIA operative if you will um, the film opens with Jean-Claude he's waking up in a dark room on a submarine he's imprisoned it's been deemed a CIA quote unquote black site and his name his neighbor And the film is uh, is played by Dolph Lundgren. Okay, he's playing the character named Marco. Um, Marco has obviously been there considerably longer than uh, than Jean-Claude. And what's so cool about about the way Dolph is playing this. And this is one of those things that I wonder if maybe when Dolph came on board, he kind of I've heard and I've spoken to various individuals that have kind of alluded to when when Dolph comes on set, he loves to add little nuances to his character. And so with this one, Dolph, his character Marco, is almost Zen-like. He likes to read literature, and he kind of he kind of makes these uh, personal drawings around his cell that kind of are like his wallpaper, if you will. And I'd like yeah. to think that those little touches were on Dolph's behalf. You got a name, Marco?
1: Okay, okay, I'm Scott. How can I get out of here? You don't. Well, unless you're a fan of body bags. Oh. So you're about to meet Weddle and Dax. Stand back and turn around. Step
0: back, hands on the wall.
1: I want to speak to someone in charge.
0: Hands on the wall now!
1: Someone in here. Hey, Dax. Come on, Dax. Take it easy. It's his first day.
2: You want a piece of this, too, Marco? Yeah, wow. Well. It's been a while since I felt a woman's touch. Show me your pics, baby. <laughs> yeah i like to think that too i mean he did do a lot with a little with this one and really he 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 was the one with all the the charm i thought and it it uh it was a real breath of fresh air every time we did get to see him even though it was so often just like in a shot that was obviously done like on a day that the other person wasn't there for a lot of the yeah. incel type stuff but yeah i he was he was he was great in this i uh, like anyone who's a fan of his, I'm sure it would be like, just give us more of that and less of whatever this sort of plot that they're trying to wrap it all in. Obviously, it's going
0: to start off with with Jean Claude in this uh, in this cell, if you will. It then it takes it then it goes to a flashback. Okay, scene where we get to see. Okay, this is what Wheeler was on. This was his previous assignment that led him to being imprisoned. I have quite a few thoughts on these particular scenes. I wanted to get your take on them, but let's just let's just run through them real quick. Okay, so Wheeler's previous assignment is in Mobile, Alabama. Um, his partner on assignment is also his love interest. Um, this is one of those. <laughs> This is one of those aspects that's interesting. The gal playing his uh, 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 his partner in love interest, um, the actress's name is Courtney B. Turk. She is, I mean, let's just say it. She's young enough to be his daughter, and that is it's exactly what I thought. It creeped and, me way out. And it's so creepy because I mean, it's really this disturbing trend. I would say, especially within these low budget action movies, where it seems like the uh, the action stars are getting older and older but for some reason these producers feel that it's like they're afraid to cast a female over the age of 30 and so it's yeah. just really interesting. You mentioned Derailed and the one thing that I remember about Derailed that I really really appreciated about that one was they, they the, the actress who they cast as Jean-Claude's wife in that one
2: was of age and it worked. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know if you yeah. remember that or not. I can't remember her specifically but I was thinking about that whole age thing and and I, ah, I, oh man, I get, these things are probably all like pre-sold in foreign territories and they have to have certain things. And so you, it's just kind of, it's so unfortunate. But if you, I just, ugh, you think about Universal Soldier, you know, I mean, so Allie Walker is, she's not an unattractive woman by any means, but she's not this sort of cookie cutter, you know, she didn't look like every other Indistinguishable actress, you know, of a certain age at that at 1992. You know, she had a a distinct quality about her and unique charm, and she was funny and ballsy, and it was great. And she had the, these the the actresses in this movie, like, uh, I hate to say bad things about, her, but you got the, like the Megan Fox character we'll talk about later, and then and then this one who played his love interest, and it was just like oh it was rough (laughs) rough.
0: well yeah no i mean it's especially grotesque how the camera in the film feels the need to kind of linger on her as she's changing yeah you know what i mean that that
2: shot was in the trailer ultimately i was just like what are we doing here yeah It's like 60 years old
0: (laughs) yeah so i mean okay so Wheeler and Ballard, they're on assignment. They're working deep cover, trying to find the mole in their agency. Huge shootout ensues at the the motel where uh, Wheeler and Ballard were staying. And this team of, we find out that this team of paramilitary assassins are after, wait for it, wait for it, the flash drive. How many times have we seen this in these films where the MacGuffin of the film is a flash drive? Do you think that by twenty? I'm just wondering, at at what point in these films do you think that the flash drive is no longer going to be the sought-after instrument that drives the plot?
2: Oh, man. I think we're probably looking at another five years at least. But but this one was fun because at least you had Van Damme with his accent saying, maybe my favorite, not my favorite line in the movie. I don't know what that would be. But the one that caught my attention that I had to write it down, I'll just say phonetically, when he says, I've got a dungle. (laughs) That's right. What? (laughs) I've got yeah, yeah. the. Don- I I had to watch it twice. i was like, what? Oh, I've got the dongle. Don't make him say that. Come on. <laughs>
0: and okay, so I mean, I don't want to get to the big spoiler here yet, but uh, uh, Melissa Ballard is killed. Okay, uh, Wheeler is eventually drugged and imprisoned. Okay, when he wakes up, okay, this was a real welcome addition that I really liked. Um, yeah, we see that uh, Patrick kill Patrick. The great Patrick Kilpatrick, Sandman from Death Warrant. I mean, come yeah. on, this guy's dossier of uh, of villains that he's played is electric. It's just awesome to see him on screen. Um, he turns up as the antagonist once again, and I mean, man, this is. I mean, this is one dude. I mean, no matter how old he gets, he has that voice about him where he is just so imposing. I've always said it before, but I always thought what's interesting about death oh, warrant. I don't think that uh, death warrant is one of Van Damme's best movies. However, I will say that, uh, uh, the Sandman, Patrick Kilpatrick is one of Van Damme's best villains. Okay. Yeah. And here, um, his character's name is Patrick Ferris. He's the chief officer of SAD, which is the special activities division. I'll get okay, your take, but, uh, what was your, uh, What were your thoughts on seeing uh, uh, Mr. Kilpatrick turn up in this film?
2: I had not seen him in forever. There must have been some point. I guess I did see Last Man Standing back when it came out. But when when he was kind of going through the the list of the various movies that he's been in and the various kind of action stars, he's worked opposite. I, I really somehow had missed even things like Minority Port. That, that i would like to and have meant to see i haven't yet so i really know him almost exclusively as the sandman from wow 30 years ago and so just to see him as an older man for the first time and kind of just the way that he carried himself and the suit and all of that and the more kind of subdued way not not subdued like <laughs> tranquilized but uh just a little bit more low-key it, it took some adjusting uh you know when he says this line that i'm sure we'll talk about that was i perked up but it was also it was so just kind of like even keeled but he is like he's so imposing a presence that i guess he probably doesn't need to you know really uh, turn on the energy to to to, to intimidate people it's just kind of inherent in his you know being
0: well, here's one of the big issues with that. Okay. You're going to cast and I get why they're doing this. Okay. They're kind of trying to, I think, employ a little bit of misdirection, if you will. Um, but uh spoiler here, uh, it turns out that uh, uh, Wheeler. Okay. So that's Van Dam's character. Wheeler's superior Rhodes, is actually the one who's dirty. He kills all of the CIA interrogators, including Patrick Kilpatrick's character. And so for me, this was, I mean, already going into this, I was kind of like, all right, it takes place on a submarine. How many times have we seen that? Whatever. But then when Kilpatrick shows up, I kind of get perked up a bit. And I'm like, okay, this could be cool. Suddenly, I don't know if you felt this way or not, but once his character is killed, it's almost like the stakes for me completely went out the window. And I started to get bored with it. I mean, and and I think that is a real testament. And I even told that to Kilpatrick. I was like, dude. You left the film way too early to where suddenly I quit caring about, <laughs> about what was going on. And I don't know if, uh, if you felt that way or not, but he is such a cool, imposing presence. And for him to get killed immediately, it is, it is shocking, I'll admit it. But he is such a great villain that the villain who comes in after him doesn't even hold a candle to what Kilpatrick does on screen.
2: Yeah, that was... a. I mean, I think that's part of the appeal, you know? You get Van Damme and Patrick O'Patrick reunited as, like, you know, hero and villain, and then you throw a dolphin, it's like, this should be great, and then, <laughs> and then they kill him off in the first whatever, like, 20 minutes. And I get it, it's the same as you said, it's like, for a certain effect, but it... Because uh, I was trying to think to myself, like, would I have preferred than he play the guy that was... that turns out to be the real bad guy? And... Uh, I guess that would have tipped the it probably would have ruined the surprise you know you'd be like well of course Patrick Kilpatrick's the bad guy but yeah I missed him when he was gone for sure
0: well and I, I mean if we go back to the MacGuffin real quick I mean I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to lay on this either okay but I mean this the is dongle? what the dongle yes sorry sorry the dongle <laughs> so I, I just want to like I said I don't want to lay on this okay but all right, so we have Wheeler. He's suspected of treason, okay? Um, his superiors think that he has switched sides and he is selling the desired flash drive on the black market. Apparently, it has numerous incriminating files. Of course it does, okay? <laughs> That's with all of these things. So it's interesting. Okay, so Melissa Ballard, Okay. Um, that was uh, that was a uh, uh, Van Damme's partner. Okay, she has the flash drive, but Wheeler has the activation key. The flash drive is worthless without the activation key. Wheeler knows this, so he is hiding the keys whereabouts. And so, what ensues is pretty much a lot of shooting, a lot of running. They're going through the corridors of the submarine. Okay, Van Damme is running. They're trying to shoot him to get the to get the the key to get the flash drive working. We've seen it all before. I don't know if I'd say I've seen it before if I've seen it done more exciting before but that's what's going on.
2: Can I ask a I would like to ask a really possibly dumb question about the shooting of automatic guns or any kind of guns on a submarine is everything just <laughs> built out of because it, it took me a while I'm embarrassed to say this it was probably like in the last you know Quarter of the movie where there was a lot of shooting, I was like, "Wait a second, they're on a sub." Yes, <laughs> yeah. What? Are, aren't you in danger of like puncturing the walls? And then, if not, wouldn't that stuff just ricochet everywhere in, in problematic ways? So i i, I should I'm, I'm going to screenshot
0: you my notes, but that was my exact issue as well. Is oh, okay if if you're going to be setting, I mean, you would think okay, if you're if you're writing a film that's set on a submarine, then you know what? Come up with some other. um some other instruments, I guess that our characters can use, i mean i don 't know knives, if you fighters, will
2: yes, it's like that old line from *Enter the dragon 's like why don't somebody take a forty five and bang settle <laughs> it's because like you've got to take that out of the equation if you want people to fight hand to hand, and you've got these two brilliant m- martial artists in your movie, and you gotta i don't want to ever see Jean Claude shoot a gun again in my life I know so it's just such a I thought I was miss I thought I was just like hadn't seen enough of these kind of movies to to know that like oh it's fine you could shoot guns on submarines but now knowing that it's unconscionable.
0: Well no, exactly.
2: Serious. It's it seems
0: it seems almost lazy. I mean you know, I mean it came out what's interesting is that actually it came out in the same year. But did you see Hunter Killer with Gerard Butler? No, I
2: I man, I'm out of
0: the loop, I'm realizing. Okay. I feel like I'm giving you your your next watch list. I appreciate though. I I hope you're writing it down. So um, if you see Hunter Killer, okay, Hunter Killer is not amazing by any means. Okay. But what Hunter Killer does right is, okay, there is another film that is set on a submarine. But what's interesting is you're watching it and it really, as a viewer, takes you into the submarine and you kind of, you believe that it is set on a submarine. Okay. Because what you have, you have these tight confines, very, very tight confines. You have these very, very low ceilings in the film. And so it, it looks and feels like a submarine. With this particular film, and I don't know if you felt this way or not, but yeah, thanks to all of the crazy nonsense automatic gunfire that we see, okay, there are so many scenes where I fr- I forgot that they were even on a submarine. Okay. I forgot that <laughs> yeah. they were even on a submarine. And so what the film does, it's almost kind of like, I wonder if in post-production they realized this because what you get every 15 minutes in the film is you get a CGI exterior shot of the sub Ooh, to, kinda, to so kind rough. of <laughs> to kind of, to kind of remind you, Hey, by the way, this, this takes place that it's uh that it's on a submarine, but, um, yeah, I mean, that, that was the big thing that stuck out to me is, okay, in this particular film, you don't really have those low ceilings. You don't really have those tight confines. You have walls that appear to be made of concrete. And this is on a submarine. It's like, I'm i am sorry, but that is something else that's taken me out.
2: Yeah, oh, I yeah, I agree. I there, and, and the lighting on this submarine, like I've never seen so many multicolored gels of like, you know, lighting gels of like orange and green and blue. And I maybe there were some purples and stuff. And they're really, you know, they're making it look like a disco or something. You, you kind of
0: alluded to it earlier. So I just want to talk about it real quick. I, I will say, and it, maybe I'm a little biased, okay, considering the nature of the podcast, I'll admit that right now. But I think Dolph's Marco character is the best part about this film. I don't know if you felt that way or not, but you can tell, I think for Dolph's limited screen time, I think he's collectively on screen for maybe 10 minutes, but you can tell he's having fun with what yeah. little they have given
2: him. He totally is. Yeah. When I don't, I don't want us to get too far past that. Did, were you going to mention uh, Patrick Kilpatrick's callback to death warrant in the, in the interrogation scene? Did you catch that line? I'll I'll let you. I'll let you do it. Um, this is your moment. I mean, so he's threatening to like stick a needle in Van Damme's eye, and and then Van Damme's <laughs> so stupid. He's just like he's he's like, This is going to go nowhere. <laughs> like you can't possibly torture any information out of him. So Patrick Kilpatrick just is like, all right. <laughs> he doesn't say that, but he just goes, Welcome to hell. Oh, and, that's right. Uh, yeah, it's just like, oh my, just lit up. But like, it was again so subdued. Like, can you imagine if he was just like, welcome to hell, like <laughs> in Death <warrant? laughs> I know, I know, it would have been too big. But oh, come on, <laughs> another missed opportunity. But but a, a nice callback nonetheless. I mean, that had to have been intentional. I'm guessing from like Chad Law's script forward. Well,
0: and if they're gonna be doing callbacks, wouldn't it have been cool if Dolph's Marco character gets a line where as soon as he, you know, kicks the ass of one of the henchmen, he looks at him and he says, That's a spirit soldier.
2: Oh my you know god. What I mean? yeah.
0: like, <laughs> like, come on.
2: Um because oh, he could have said it to Van Damme and everything. Mm-hmm. You gotta talk to Chad again see what we can find out. Well that was, that was that was something <laughs> that was something
0: that Chad uh basically said when uh when I spoke to him is he was like, look, um, a lot of people complained that there was uh, that they wish there was more Dolph. He goes, I wish there was more Dolph as well. And so, like I said, that kind of just goes to my theory where I wonder if what happened. I mean, this is this is the other part that that I was going to get to here in a minute. But I do wonder if with with Dolph's inclusion, if maybe that character wasn't even in the initial script and what they realized is the is the production realized, hey, wait a minute. I hear that Dolph Lundgren is available for you know, the next two weeks. Let's squeeze him into this thing if we can. Let's write something in there. So, and I don't know if you kind of picked up on that or not, but I don't know. I mean, what's interesting is if you take his character out of the film, and I don't want them to. Like I said, I think he's the best part about it. But you could theoretically take this character out of the film. And I think for the most part, the film is going to play pretty similarly
2: yeah i hadn't thought of that that's a really interesting observation and it could be well i guess judging from what the what the writer was saying it sounded like he he was attached or involved early on certainly before shooting but i started to wonder it's like oh man if they were having trouble getting van Dam to the set etc did they introduce something like this just to help kind of you know, if someone's if if he's not going to come out of his trailer, then they, they can shoot Dolph or I don't know, but that might be taking it a bit too far. But I do wonder, was if it were more anything more than just scheduling that prevented it from being a larger part? Because yeah, it really is a jolt of energy each time you s- see him, even if he's just sitting there reading.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> that says something too. A shot of him reading elevates this film.
2: Um, I really notice like that about him because he he he's so electric but i i was happy to see that van damme was not completely sleepwalking through this and did turn on his kind of charm with the winks and stuff like that but there was a a period where even van damme wasn't in it as much and it was just the other kind of supporting characters and i was starting to i just hadn't seen a movie uh, of this particular kind of genre and i don't know i don't want to uh be a little it certainly, but it just it it the the everything was feeling kind of flat to me in terms of like something just wasn't particularly working early on about the the performances and the the editing or whatever like whatever sort of alchemy has to coalesce to make something work it wasn't quite firing on all cylinders for me and then like there was a the simple scenes where like you'd see Dolph or then like when Van Damme has the scene with the where he takes the gun away from one of the other uh characters we haven't mentioned yet, the another of the female characters. He's just having I was struck by the simplicity of the lines, but the just undeniable kind of movie star thing that he has was cutting through and he was saying things slightly with just the littlest bit of like unique, I don't want to say flair, but I was just like, oh, you know, these guys, they are. Rarified beings, you know, whether it's th- just Dolph and Van Dam with their all that they've been through, like physically and everything, to to build up who they are. But like, yeah, when you when you see a movie star doing their thing, it's easy to take for granted until it's like put in contrast with you know us mortals. <laughs> and so that was something that stuck out to me at times, where just like you get the you gotta turn those guys loose, and I don't know, I don't know if they didn't want to as much maybe van damme <laughs> didn't want to as much but i just uh i wanted some more of that and there's more of it as the movie goes along but never quite enough for my taste well before we get to i'm I'm so glad you brought that up because
0: i think the film really does come alive at that particular point when uh when jean-claude and dolph do team up but b- before we get to there I, there's something else that i that i noticed that i just want to touch upon and i don't know if you felt the, the same way or not but um so, okay, so Wheeler escapes the interrogation room, and he partners up with um, someone else who's on the on the sub. Um, the actress's name is Jasmine Waltz, okay? Van Damme teams up with her. Her character's name is uh, Cassie Taylor. The character of Cassie Taylor, she has her eyes on becoming a field agent, I guess. Um, like the character of Melissa, Wheeler's partner, uh, at the beginning of the film, she's also old enough to be his daughter. What's fascinating about this particular about this particular character is she just has a stunning and flawless makeup job which <laughs> is just so odd considering that she's stationed on a submarine okay and, he, and maybe it could be because nowadays these films are are made with high definition cameras so it picks up much more but you see these scenes where it's kind of like huh she uh wants to be a field agent and not a supermodel huh okay right. you
2: know what I mean?
1: yeah
2: <laughs> That, yeah, that bugged me too. That's the one I called the Megan Fox character. And it's like they had a picture of Megan Fox in these movies on the makeup trailer. And then this poor actress came in and they're like, okay, you're going to walk out of the trailer looking like that. And she's like, I don't really think that fits my character. Shut up! You know? Yeah. Because <laughs> she's introduced as well in this like, state of undress. And I don't know. I'm no prude, but it's just it's, <laughs> ah, it's creepy. <laughs> I do appreciate that. I I did get slightly invested in her story enough to where like she had things that she wanted and she was conflicted and had her own kind of motivations and it wasn't especially like romantic with her and the and the Van Damme character and I that was nice. <laughs> and uh yeah, I I appreciated I guess what she was trying to do, but they didn't didn't give her a lot of a lot of leeway to like be a person.
0: Well, you know, it's so funny that you mentioned Megan Fox, because did you know that
2: she is going to be in Expendables 4, which is coming out next year? I did not know that. And nor did I know until I heard it on your podcast that Van Damme uh, turned down Expendables 1. That was news to me. Yeah, yeah,
0: he he did. But you know what? I mean, I will say I still think he's like one of the best things about Expendables 2. So it's one of those things where it's like, you know what? I think in my opinion, I think he made the right call
2: turning down <laughs> turning down expendables yeah. one it does so. seem too with the choices that he makes. i think he's i i remember hearing him i don't know if i told you this but it was such a revelation to me on the commentary the one tr- dvd commentary i ever heard him speak on was for a replicant oh uh, I've, I've listened to that as well yes yeah do you remember there's the well there's the bit where eventually he just gets tired and he's like look i don't know what you want me to say here the movie's good i'm here with my friends <laughs> he just like <laughs> checks out uh but before that at some point he would keep kind of signing off and to be like i'll talk to you soon more on replica. oh yeah, the... yeah. <laughs> but the, my... the thing I bring it up is because there was one part where he just goes he, he basically says he, he literally says because i'm bored with movies and i mean it Mm -hmm. And if he was bored with movies and not able to kind of find ways to keep himself engaged and pushing forward in ways that, you know, people putting up money for these things or whatever would allow him 20 years ago. It's like, it's, I don't know where he's at now, but that lack of, um, of drive is all too apparent in, in, in movies like this, unfortunately to where he only shines through here and there where he used to be, I think that's what carried all his early movies, you know? He was like like he, the, guy, the guy was like on fire for, like from within, you know? He was like filled with this like energy that came through the screen at you that is it is no longer there. And and Dolph has it more in this in the subdued way than than Van Damme who's getting a chance to really at least kind of play the hero and get out there and do the running and the and the kicking and stuff, but he's still kind of I don't know it's just like reserved and bored it's oh you know <laughs> I it, it's myself so, say it
0: well it's it's funny it's so it, it's interesting you mentioned the replicant commentary because and and this is so sad, David that I actually remember this, but the one part that I remember the most from that particular commentary is there's the scene where his clone character is um in a hotel room with a uh with a woman of the night we I will remember. say. Yeah. And um and so he's talking about that scene where he's, you know, getting ready to kiss that gal. And I remember in that uh in that commentary, he's like, Oh, I move my hands too soon. I wish I would have waited to move my hands.
2: <laughs> like it's yeah. yeah. He's invested. You know, I mean yeah. that I think it's that and, and maybe he's he still is and it's hard to know. But I I, I always I, I think you could tell when people are that invested. Like I remember seeing this off topic but super brief but like I remember seeing Stallone on Oprah Winfrey when Rocky 5 came out. Rocky 5 was the first Rocky I ever saw because of my age and stuff and I just remember to this day the only thing I can remember about that appearance was they watched a clip and they came back from watching the clip and he's still kind of looking up at it and Oprah's like oh, you seem like you're really like still engaged in the movies like you know what it is I'm just still in the cutting room I was like oh man I could have made that cut I could have made that cut yeah and oh, yeah. you need to have that kind of passion for stuff like that kind of passion is always apparent and that's why you can have somebody like Van Damme or Dolph Lundgren in a quote unquote bad movie and have them elevate it to the point that they did for so many years of their career and still you know sometimes but and they do in this one it's just not as it's not as potent, you know, (laughs) it's, it's not quite the universal soldier uh, super serum. It's more of something else.
0: Well, I mean, look, we, we already mentioned it, so let's get there. Okay. So Wheeler decides to level the playing field, I guess. And he finally recruits the Marco characters. This is Dolph's character to assist he and Cassie. I mean, we've already, we've already mentioned it, but I think he recruits him way too late in the, uh, in the film. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's, I guess it's better than nothing. Um, we, we find out that Marco is German special forces and he was imprisoned on the sub because he knows way too much. And so what's, what's fascinating about their team up, okay, and I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but we get a really cool fight scene where Wheeler, Marco, and Cassie are each fighting one of the commando mercenaries. Okay. And it's, it's actually, I felt fairly, uh, fairly decently choreographed, especially the, the, the actress playing Cassie. I mean, she is really getting down and, you know, doing these kind of MMA grappling moves with, uh, with the commando. I mean, it's, it's a really cool scene and there's that moment where I'm watching it and I'm thinking, like, like you said, where, where Van Dam winks at Dolph Lundgren. Okay. (laughs) So they, they team up and, uh, and you know, Van Dam gives 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 Dolph a gun, and uh, Dolph says, "I know I liked you." And then Van Dam kind of winks at him. And there's this moment where it's great—you're watching it—and I'm like, "This is exactly what the movie should be. It should be this kind of tango and cash. I'm sure you've oh, seen. Oh hell
2: yeah! Uh, yeah. yeah it,
0: it should be this tango and cash dynamic between the two of them. And you get it. Very, here's what's interesting—you get it very, very briefly. But what's interesting is they part ways immediately after. And that's the one thing that I did not understand is they get out of this situation. And then Dolph is like, all right, if you need anything else, you know where to find me. And he just leaves. And you're like, what? No, no, come back, please be the cash to, to the tango.
2: Oh oh, yeah. God, that would have changed everything. It would have been so great. There is one slightly uh, humorous scene where, uh,
0: where it's right in the same, uh, the same, you know, uh, scene of the film, but where Dolph commandeers one of the commandos' radios.
2: Yes, this is the right? best. This is and the he, best scene in the movie for me.
0: Do you, you know why it's the best? It's because it we're we're getting this is a tango and cash dynamic here. Yeah,
2: you know what it's I mean. Fun.
0: Yeah, so he's he's helping uh, Jean-Claude fake his own injury and death, you know, so he keeps, you know, punching him in the stomach. And, you know, Van Damme is groaning over the radio. And you're watching it, and yeah, it's like, this is what we wanted to see. When you hear that these two guys are going to be on the same side, and they're reuniting, this is what it should be. And sadly, there's just not enough of it, especially, like I said, how how Dolph just dips out of the film. He literally just, you know, was like, all right, you need me again. You know where to find me. I guess he's what going back to his cell to continue reading. Uh, All right.
2: Yeah. Oh man. Are
1: you okay? Yeah. I mean, good call in the blood. Dax, do you read? Dax, do you copy? Dax! Taking fire! Taylor's down! Taylor's down! Incoming! We gotta get over there. Wait. Should we have eyes on Wheeler
0: Take fire, massive I got a visual, he's down, he's hurt
1: Say hi, asshole Fuck you
0: <sighs> What about the prisoner?
1: No longer an issue
0: Get him up to the mess hall. Good work, man.
1: Should we call it in the roots? No, I don't trust that son of a pitch. I need to talk to Wheeler
2: first. I, let me just say, I want the, the, the phrase, a tango and cash moment to be a thing that catches on and that people say far and wide. That was, yeah. that was great. I, I guess we can get to the giant twist
0: at the end. I don't know if it surprised you or not. Um, we find out that uh uh Van Damme's uh partner at the beginning of the film, also his love interest, uh Ballard, she was in fact the mole in the agency. She was the one working for the other side. And she gets a uh, a really fun evil line when this is revealed. She looks at <laughs> she she looks at Jean Claude's character and she says, Well, the sex wasn't bad. And as a viewer, you're just like, Ooh
2: no, <laughs> That is so cringeworthy. She just seems so young. <laughs> it's, it's, it's upsetting.
0: And the the other thing I wanted to get your uh, opinion on. Okay, I mean because yeah, there's there's a final shootout that. That occurs. Okay. Just like, and it's really no different than any of the other 20 shootouts that we saw earlier. Um, I will say the, uh, the lead who kind of takes the lead for Patrick Kilpatrick is pretty bland. I didn't find him very intimidating at all. Um, but, uh, Wheeler does get off the submarine and, uh, he is now partnered with the Cassie Taylor character. They're debriefed at the Pentagon. And we know David that this is the Pentagon because we get (laughs) an exterior shot of the Pentagon, which I'm assuming is uh, Stock footage, but uh, yeah They become partners at the end
2: I liked that, I, I was surprised By that little, I just enjoyed The sort of light dynamic of it And seeing Van Damme And his little like, you know Purple tinted glasses and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I was, I found that, oh Because this was way back early in the movie But I want to make sure I got this right Because this this took me out of it Well, that's that's a it took me a while to realize, but when he escapes from that interrogation chair, doesn't he break his thumb to do it? Yeah. So he's like the whole movie with a broken thumb. You, you, he didn't seem like he stubbed his toe. Like it affected him in no way, which was is preposterous. Well, maybe he's like, maybe he's like Martin Riggs, right? Where he's Uh, able to kind of dislocate it and then pop it back in. That's right. Well, that that I like. I would have loved to have seen a little, like, scene where he does the thing. Maybe people laying bets, and he just like slams. Dolphs laying bets. oh there's so many missed opportunities in this movie for Tango and Cash moments, Riggs and Murtaugh moments. Here's Ugh, but what. Now he's he's got a new partner with uh with the Megan Fox. <laughs> I don't know what her name is, but uh, you know, I, I'd watch that sequel. I'd love to see him paired up in a, in a buddy cop movie of any kind. And Th- this actress and him I'd, I'd watch blackwater too if that's what it was you get Dolph Dolph's still out there as we find out
0: well Dolph is still out there here's what i don't want to see in the sequel okay so this is this is the the scene right before the uh the credits roll um so marco promises jean-claude before he you know leaves the film or not entirely but you know before he uh, uh after he teams up with Van Dam and they, you know, kind of have their scuffles and then they part ways. Okay. Way too soon. All right. He, he tells Van Dam, well, I'll, I'll help you out. I'll, uh, I'll, I got your back. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do a favor for you if you will. And so what he does is he tracks down the, uh, the Ballard character. Okay. She's overseas in a South American country, trying to, uh, trying to get away. Um, he tracks her down and he just point blank shoots her. As she's in the car and this, I don't know if you felt this way or not, but this was dark and it really kind it of, worked. it really kind of disturbed me. It was, I mean, first of all, I think it was very mean spirited, but it was also kind of out of character for his character for that to occur. And so you see that and it's kind of like, whoa, like that's way too dark considering like Tango and cash didn't do that. <laughs> and, right. You know what I mean? They, they wouldn't kill a woman point blank who isn't you know what i mean not posing a threat i don't know yeah. uh yeah no
2: i i I think they set his character up to be the kind of guy that would do that like maybe they said things about him like that okay. but his his actual like behavior and demeanor and the things the limited things we did get to see him do on screen it didn't seem as though he was like a, a sociopath like that and so and especially after the lighthearted scene with uh, or I don't know if it happened right before that or after that, but it was right around the thing with the, uh, the new partner and stuff and in the, the Pentagon. It, yeah, it was odd to have that dark turn. It did feel like a weird tonal uh shift.
0: Well, one of the one of the final things I will say about this film is while it does have a few problems in terms of the narrative and the overall um rollout of the conceit, I guess we can say um if you look at the production behind it, I will say. The film is not ugly, I don't think, in, in any kind of way, um, in, in, terms of, uh, in terms of the looks of it, okay? We've seen, I mean, if you go through the podcast uh, in any of the previous episodes, a lot of these films are just filmed so cheaply with such little resources and such limited sets that you would think a film like this would just be screaming cheap at every corner. This, I will feel, it's still looks fairly polished and uh, and pretty good. Um, I guess in, in reading about it and doing a little bit of research, um, the director, the person who's credited as the director um, is a uh, gentleman by the name of Pasha Patriki. In reality, I guess he was actually the cinematographer. Um, this film was actually directed by a, by a gentleman by the name of Alan Unger. Okay, This was the one who helmed the film. However, due to contractual reasons, his name is not listed as the director. But regardless, I will say it it still looks a little bit better than any of the other cheapy productions we've seen these guys do.
2: Yeah. And I know I, I give a little shit for looking like a disco with all the different gel colored lights on the, on the ship. But I, I I think I would have enjoyed it. It would have affected my mood (laughs) and the overall tone. If it was like a really, you know, stark, almost black and white type or, you know, all of the, what 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 a submarine is likely to look like, you know, and people are likely to be dressed like, et cetera. Like they did go out of their way to to make it look interesting and and cool. <laughs> and, and and it and it does. And and even just the fact that they, they did get out of the submarine and those flashbacks and stuff like that was a surprise to me. And it had a greater scope in some ways than I than I thought it would coming in. And yeah, I mean I think overall I just enjoyed it more than I thought I would from not knowing anything or seeing the trailer or anything, just kind of thinking I knew what it was going to be like. It it did exceed my expectations on on a number of levels.
0: All right, well, well, here we are, David. Again, um, I, I just want to say thank you again for uh, for agreeing to this and and coming back, man. I I know I broached the uh, the topic with you back when we discussed regeneration a couple years ago, but um. Here we are. Okay. I know you had never seen this film before. So thank you for, uh, for checking it out. I'm curious. How did you check it out? I know it's available on a few streaming services. Is it Freebie and in, in, in YouTube or how did you
2: watch it? I ended up ordering a, a, a Blu-ray of it because I was hoping there might be a little behind the scenes or commentary or something. And I couldn't quite figure out one way or the other. So I just decided I would, uh, I would order it when, cause it was on prime forever and now it's not. Yeah so, so it's, i'm not yeah. sure where to where you can see it but i i got a disc
0: right on well th-
2: there there you go you have another one to add to your collection you're welcome yeah yeah <laughs> no, I, I do thank you and i don't think i i, t- I didn't talk to you until uh, after i watched that universal soldier was it regeneration what comes after that one that what's the next one that it, day it's of reckoning. like really weird i actually liked yeah, day, of day of reckoning i thought it was pretty interesting and and cool and uh I think when we talked, you were like, I don't know if you're going to be into that, but I, I was actually, I, I was, I thought it was really fascinating. And uh, yeah, but anyway, so <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty,
0: pretty bold I, direction for them to take that franchise. You know what I mean? Like,
2: yeah. Yeah. And if he's going to be a little, mm. um, you know, catatonic Van Damme, there was some interesting use of it there. And I hadn't seen yeah. <laughs> much uh, Scott Adkins really prior to that, other than just like the, what he showed up uh, in Van Damme's other films. And uh, I really enjoyed that. In fact, I also really enjoyed. I think it was you that turned me on to the Scott Adkins uh, conversations on YouTube over the the lockdown and stuff with Dolph and all kinds yeah. of other people. And I was bummed Van Dam didn't show up there. I, you know, I don't know why that is, but um, yeah. But anyway, no. so, <laughs> sorry getting far fueled as uh, as I want to do, but I appreciate you having me. I've never. I don't think I've ever spoke to a real person. Uh, about the replicant commentary before, so that was a special <laughs> moment for me. Yeah,
0: no, yeah, <laughs> if, if you're many want...
2: people to listen, but I don't think anyone ever takes me up on it.
0: Do you ever want to do a watch along, man? Just let me know, and we'll uh, we'll set it up. Um, it. all right. So, in your opinion, what do you think? Okay, as as a fan of uh, as a fan of Van Dam, as a fan of Dolph. Okay, what would you say about this, this film? Get a recommend. On either of those levels, as an action movie, as a as a Van Dam film, what do you think?
2: Oh, I would say I'm I'm pretty out of touch in terms of mo- like modern action movies, so I'm not sure how it stacks up there. But I I think if you're a Van Dam like completist, it's it's worth checking out. I mean, it's it's not the uh, <laughs> such a terrible way to put it. It's not. I thought it was going to be a little bit of a chore, and I ended up you know being pleasantly surprised at uh you know how I was uh, engaged with it. It's it was uh, fun to see Dolph like take this tiny character and and make it interesting and fun and I'm not one to do this but if you fast forward through movies that might be a way to <laughs> to get to just like see the fun parts it's so I would yeah. I don't know I couldn't give it a wholehearted recommend but it uh, you know if you're going through these guys you know chronology or filmography it's it's uh it's gonna be more fun than than you think.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. The, 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 well put. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you uh, t- to an extent. I think if you're a fan of either Lundgren or Van Damme, then I think, yeah, definitely check this out because I think the sheer novelty and gimmick of seeing them on screen together and this time fighting on the same side is a blast to see while it's uh, unfortunately they're, they're not on screen um, nearly enough. It almost comes off as a wasted opportunity as a result, but that one scene where they are together, I think that right there is um, is is worth the price of admission. Okay, um, I don't think it's one that you're going to go back to as often, like uh, like Universal Soldier, and that that's not to mitigate the film really. Um, but I mean, if you look at the Universal Soldier, that was a film that put these two guys together when they were in their prime. Okay, so it's very difficult to compete with that. I think as a film in general, I don't think it's terrible, okay? The the production values are decent, especially for this genre. Um, we've seen much, much worse, I will say. Um, the fight scenes are pretty fun. The action sequences are all well done. Unfortunately with it, I will say there is not one original aspect to this film, okay? Mm-hmm. The flash drive MacGuffin, we've seen that millions of times. The submarine the setting, we've seen... Yeah, the dongle, sorry. Uh, <laughs> the the submarine setting, we've seen that dozens of times. The turncoat CIA operative, okay? These are all standard tropes of action films, mainly the, the direct-to-video genre. And sadly, because of all this, I don't think it's going to stand at the test of time as either a Dolph Lundgren vehicle or a Jean-Claude Van Damme vehicle, or even really an action movie in general. I think this is kind of one that... Um, you know, I mean, here it is. We're four years removed from it already at this point, and And uh, it's kind of become a little bit forgotten, hasn't it?
2: Yeah. I mean, this is definitely not even top 20 Van Damme movies for me. Yeah.
0: Well, like I said, I, I had a, I, I mean, look, I, I know it wasn't top 20. It's not top 20 Dolph either. I did, as usual, have a wonderful time chatting with you. So thank you so very much for uh, agreeing to uh, to come back on with me um before i let you go i uh, i'd love to give you a chance to plug anything that you're working on uh if you want to give a shout out to anything anything that you've seen i guess recently what uh, what's going on
2: oh wow the scene like really jumped out at me but i i think in terms of like the audience of the of the podcast the only thing that really makes a lot of sense is just to uh if you're if if you're not too turned off by my kind of spastic enthusiasm for the muscles of russell uh, There's more of that on, uh, on these uh, sort of guest appearances I've done on the jean pod van Dam cast, which is, um, which you could get to. So if you go to my website, which is David slash podcast and scroll down, you'll see uh, that you'll see those things kind of embedded along with the, uh, my, I must break this podcast appearances. And so, that's, I guess, what I would recommend. Uh, I mean, on that podcast page, links to my uh, the 100 episodes we did of uh, the Long Walk Short Drink podcast, which is not particularly time sensitive. So um, that might be fun, too, depending on uh, your interest. But it's a real pleasure for me to uh, get to talk to someone who's passionate and interested about these things. And you do such a nice job, Sean, with this podcast. It's a real honor for me to uh, get to be a part of it. Well, oh, yeah, thank you. And you also have, I mean, I don't, I don't want to uh, let this go, but you have a
0: a, a, a music career, right? And so anybody yeah, can uh, check out
2: and download your uh, tunes, right? Yeah, I did just, uh, so I haven't been super active uh, recently, but I just finished um, participating in, a, in an album. So my last name is Allman, spelled U-L-L-M-A-N. But, uh, I've made a lot of music with my, my brother producing and playing guitar with me. So, Almond Brothers. <laughs> and my dad and his brother were in a band in the sixties. And just recently, over the last few years, my brother produced a, a collection of songs that we put out under the name The Almond Boys, uh, called Family Album. And it's just us four Almond Brothers, like playing these songs together. Some of them cover songs and a few originals and, uh, I've been doing a lot of storytelling around that kind of that couple generations of Allman brothers making music together that I did this like five and a half hour interview with my dad and uncle and my brother. And, uh, I learned so many interesting things and I've just been kind of working with that story here the last, uh, month or so. And so that's all on the website as well. But, but thank you. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out.
0: Have you written a song yet about, uh, about the muscles from Brussels?
2: (laughs) No, not yet. But, uh, I tend to to write sort of uh, overly earnest and serious things, I guess, sometimes. Though I do have an old, goofy song called Mullet Man. But there is a song that I came across about him. And I think it's called Bloodsport and Kickboxer 2, like T-O-O-O. And I want to say that the artist is ukulele, kind of a play off the word ukulele. And it is... the such a fun song um if if you can't find it on your own and you do end up going to davidallman.net hit the contact thing and just say i want that jcbd song and i'll send it to you because the song is essentially a celebration of the man but also a bit of a discussion about how bloodsport and kickbox are kind of the same movie (laughs) it is so fun i wish i'd written that song maybe i'll play that actually at the end of the episode actually (laughs) so you guys are in for a treat
0: yeah, if you don't mind sending that to me. Because I was thinking, I don't know, have you seen uh, Chris Pratt did uh, did a song about sudden death that was on the show Parks and Recreation?
2: I didn't find out about that until much more recently than it happened. But yeah, that's a great gem, too. Right on. Yeah.
0: Well, yes, uh, go ahead and uh, email that to me and I'll uh, put that at the end. So uh, <laughs> You bet. I got it. Right. I got downloaded somewhere. Well, David, thank you very, very much. Uh, it's a pleasure, as uh, as always. Uh, to everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We appreciate the reviews. And we'll see you all next time on I Must Break, this podcast. He'd
1: have the IO. him do the splits And ladies, shield your eyes When he's killing with his hits Don't let the accent fool you Cause he ain't no fool Nickname Muscles from Brussels Means he's pretty Van dam cool His clothes may be out of fashion But how they do show off his curves Some people make fun of his acting What now? I know it's a different movie, but I have to bring it up That drunken dancing fight scene deserves a cinema's World Cup Is that scene supposed to crack me up? Cause it really, really does Jean-Claude Van Damme is the greatest Belgian action movie star there ever was Don't let the accent fool you, cause he ain't no Maybe out of fashion But how they do show off his curve Some people make fun of his acting What nerve It's amazing what he's done And only amplified his fame To make two different movies Which are identically the same Okay, Bloodsport has the kumite And Kickboxer has broken glass on fists I've watched these movies so many times I hate to think of all the other great stuff I've missed don't let the accent fool you, cause he ain't no fool. Nickname Muscles from Brussels means he's pretty damn cool. clothes may be out of fashion, but how they do show off his curves. Some people make fun of his acting. What nerve!